Thank you for standing by, and welcome to the Redbubble Limited, Redbubble Group, Happier Results. All participants are in a listen-only mode. There will be a presentation followed by a question and answer session. If you wish to ask a question, you will need to press the star key followed by the number one on your telephone keypad. I would now like to hand the conference over to Louise Lambeth, Head of Investor Relations. Please go ahead. Thank you. Good morning, everyone here in Australia, and good afternoon and evening for our U.S. investors. This is Louise Lambert, Head of Investor Relations for Redbubble Group. Welcome to this investor call following the release of our FY2022 first half results and reports provided earlier today. With me on the line, I have Redbubble CEO Michael Uchinsky and CFO Emma Clark. As well as the half year results and reports, the key information for today's update is contained in the ASX announcement and the investor release presentation also released to the market this morning. Please note that unless stated otherwise, the financial results have now been subject to audit review. Strategic and operational metrics are from internal management reports and have not been subject to audit review. Mike and Emma will speak shortly and we will then open up the lines for questions. This session is also being recorded. Before we start, I would like to call your attention to the safe harbor statement regarding forward-looking information in our ASX announcements. That safe harbor statement also applies to this investor call. I will now pass on the mic. Thank you, Louise. Uh, hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us today, where we'll go through the Red Bubble Group first half FY22 results. We shared a preview of these numbers in our January update, and we can now confirm that they have not changed post-audit review. We are proud of the $54 million that was earned by a record number of selling artists during the half, and we ended the half with a significant cash balance which gives us the ability and confidence to invest for future growth. As we've mentioned, COVID was an awful time for many people around the, around the globe, but it was a tremendous boon for Redbubble. And while we've come off those highs, when the group is viewed over a two, three, or four-year basis, it is clear to see that the group is substantially larger and significantly better placed than it was pre-COVID. On slide three, over the last six months, as we've cycled the, prior, the, the peak of the prior period comparables, combined with ongoing shifts in many elements of the external environment, we're in no doubt that it has been a challenging period for the business. None of that, however, changes the incredible opportunity that lies ahead of us. And I remain highly confident that Redbubble Group is a great business that can deliver long-term value to all stakeholders. I'd like to take a few moments to run through the Redbubble Group investment opportunity and why I'm so excited about what we're building. I'll then discuss our first half operational achievements across two of the four strategic themes before passing to Emma, who will speak to the remaining two, as well as our financial performance and outlook. Slide four, I believe Redbubble Group offers a compelling investment opportunity. We are the owner and operator of the world's largest marketplaces for independent artists. The platforms utilize on-demand technology, which is more efficient and scalable than traditional retail and drives strong unit economics. As we saw during the pandemic, the business model can drive exceptional returns at scale when profit maximising. We're playing massive addressable markets, which means there's no foreseeable caps on the potential upside. Within the business, there are multiple high potential growth levers that can enable us to achieve a meaningful step up in scale. The team and I are energised and have our sites firmly focused on driving sustainable growth. Let me go through each of these in a bit more detail. Slide five is the core business model on a page. Redbubble and TeePublic are large-scale, difficult-to-replicate three-sided marketplaces. They offer a simple, no-upfront-cost selling model for artists. 
which is uniquely positioned in the way we serve the creator economy, helping artists to monetize their creativity and sell to millions of customers globally at very little risk to them. The marketplaces connect artists and creators to a third-party, on-demand fulfillment network that enables neither artists or the marketplaces to need to carry inventory or warehousing costs and risks, as well as being highly scalable and capital-wide for the group. These millions of artists provide a large-scale and highly dynamic source of content, and they create a massive, constantly evolving catalogue of content and product listings. Redbubble Group's core role is to aggregate and enable this consumer demand for artists by utilising this enormous product content library across organic and paid channels. When the artists sell an item to a customer, it is fulfilled and shipped on demand directly from the third-party network. This model enables infinite product listings with positive unit economics for the marketplaces. The artists and their content, their customers, and the third-party fulfillment network form three-sided marketplaces with flywheel effects that drive improvements and efficiencies as they each scale. On slide six, breaking this down a bit more, the marketplaces are powered by one of the largest online communities of independent artists. At the core of the marketplaces are the artists and their content that they bring to the platforms. As more artists continue to join and sell on Redbubble and Public, more content is created and added to the platforms. This is not only highly scalable, it is extremely dynamic and constantly evolving as artists react to memes, trends and cultural changes. There is no upfront cost for artists and relatively little cost to the marketplaces. The vast array of unique content is then combined with a variety of physical products that artists can choose to sell featuring their designs. With more content and more products, this growing variety of listings increases the potential appeal to a wider and wider audience, attracting more customers to the marketplaces. And the more customers, the more scale benefits accrue in the fulfillment network, enabling customers to be serviced more efficiently. Nearly all customers are now receiving their orders from fulfillers in the same broad geographic region as them. This means faster delivery times, better shipping economics, and a lower carbon footprint, all of which helps improve the overall customer experience. As you can see from the metrics on this page, all aspects of the marketplaces have shown increases and improvements over the medium term, demonstrating these viable effects can and do positively impact the marketplace. On slide seven, our dedication to our mission of bringing more creativity into the world has helped us to successfully build an incredible community that uniquely positions us in this growing creator economy. As I said, the model offers a simple, low-risk, no upfront cost way for them to sell to the, across the globe, and the strength of this position means artist acquisition is very low cost for the group. The number of selling artists on the platform has been growing at a CAGR of 37% over the past five years, with a record 634,000 artists selling an item in the first half. The success of current artists encourages new artists to join and existing artists to continue adding new works. The total library currently encompasses some 60 million different designs across the two marketplaces a significant portion of which can be considered evergreen and has long-lasting recurring value. This library constitutes a large and growing asset with competitive advantages and strong defensive attributes given how difficult it would be to try to replicate this at this level of scale. On slide 8, each artist's design can then be made available for purchase on up to 126 different physical products. This tremendous leverage is highly valuable for each artist and also for the marketplaces, as it means there's now some 5.7 billion listings across the two businesses. As a result, the group is host to one of the largest catalogues of content and product listings on the internet that can continue to grow as new content is uploaded by artists 
and as new products are made available through the fulfillment network for them to sell. This large variety means increasing diversity and relevance to a growing pool of potential customers. On slide nine, this long tail of content and product listings provides significant advantages for attracting customers. On a last click basis, organic channels remain the source of the majority of marketplace revenue at 60% in the first half. The marketplaces are aggregators of demand and have helped artists to sell to millions of customers, with 5.3 million unique customers in the first half of the year. Looking ahead, there is a real opportunity to turn first-time customers, particularly those acquired via highly specific long-tail searches, into loyal customers who keep coming back to the marketplaces. On slide 10, now moving to the third side of the marketplace, Redbubble Group provides artists access to a global network of third-party fulfillment and logistics partners who help them service their customers once an order is placed. This on-demand model is exceptionally efficient when compared to the traditional retail supply chain process. It offers no lead time on content, no inventory risk, less waste, and no direct warehousing costs to the marketplace or artists. The third-party nature of the fulfillment network means minimal capital investments are required by the Redbubble Group to scale and expand the network. The network currently has some 44 fulfillment locations around the world, enabling 98% of orders to be shipped from the same broad geographic region as the customer or intended recipient. In slide 11, from a financial perspective, the marketplaces have demonstrated their ability to generate strong unit economics and deliver attractive returns at scale. These numbers represent the average across the group over the last two years. Cash from customers is received upfront and on hand for at least four weeks on average and then gradually distributed to various parties. For every $100 of marketplace revenue, artists on average earn $19, while the Redbubble Group earns on average $26 as gross profit after paid acquisition, which is effectively the group's contribution margin that is then offset against fixed costs. The positive unit economics is why we are so focused on investing for scale and growth, in order to get our GPUCA or total contribution margin consistently well above our underlying ongoing cost base. On slide 12, when we look at the markets we operate in, we know that market size is no barrier to the growth of the business. Given the broad range of physical products available to consumers via the marketplace, these markets, these total addressable markets, are estimated to grow to over one trillion globally by 2024, with at least 35 to 40% of all customers seeking something unique or meaningful. On slide 13, the Redbubble Group continues to be positioned at the intersection of a, a, num of a number of positive macroeconomic tailwinds. And we've spoken about these at length before. These have driven continued and sustained growth and we believe they will continue to benefit the business moving forward. This gives us confidence that the growth opportunity into the longer term remains highly intact and it's therefore firmly our job to deliver on this potential. On slide 14, to that end, we've shared a clear overview of our medium-term strategic plan based upon our high potential growth leaders. These initiatives will be phased over the next three to five years and have been ordered to give us the best chance of maximising our returns on this investment. As I spoke to in January, there is more platform work that we need to undertake in order to unlock future value. So during calendar year 22, we will continue to build on the foundational work for the next phase as well as commencing some of the investments required to deliver ongoing earned growth. On slide 15, in terms of these opportunities for earned growth, two of the areas we've spoken about have been the opportunity to improve our brand awareness and increase customer loyalty and purchase frequency. 
As shown by these graphs, when compared to our peers, there is plenty of headroom in both areas. And for us, we're excited about this very real opportunity that this presents. Loyalty or repeat purchase, along with brand awareness, are both important, are important areas for both businesses that will require sustained, disciplined investment over the near term. These are just two examples of the of many high potential growth leaders that we have in the group. The more and more I get to know the business, the more excited I am about the opportunity that lies ahead of us and the leaders that we have to grow, while also being very realistic about the work that we need to do to go after them. On slide 16, across both Redbubble and Public, our success is entirely dependent on the quality and energy of our people. I'm just over 12 months into my time here, and given the very ambitious medium-term aspirations we've set, I'm really pleased by the, by the team that I'm now surrounded by. We've been able to bring in some really experienced senior leaders over the past 12 months to build and complement the executive teams and existing people. And together, we are energised, focused and excited about the future and building this group into something really special. I'm going to turn now to the review of the first half performance. On slide 18, we're continuing to execute against our four key strategic themes. For those of you who have been following us for some time, you will recognise these as the foundational pillars upon which we can build and scale to our next phase of growth. So first on 19, on artist activation and engagement, we continue to see more artists join the platform and existing artists sell more work. This is a really important chart for us as a business, as it demonstrates the ongoing compounding value of artist cohorts each year. In calendar year 21, in the calendar year, 60% of marketplace revenue was generated by artists who had been on the platform for over a year. This metric has been pretty steady and demonstrates the long-term value, recurring value that artists and their content earn and bring to the marketplace. Operationally, our group-level artist function has been taking a more proactive and segmented approach to artist acquisition and engagement, primarily within the tea public marketplace, and that will increase for the Red Bubble business over the coming 12 months. On slide 20, we've spoken quite a bit about the strong increase we've seen in content uploaded over the past couple of years. As such, to ensure marketplace integrity, a key area of investment for us has been into content operations. We have scaled the number of people in this area by six times in the past few years, which has enabled a 15x increase in the number of works reviewed. To enable us to efficiently scale moving forward, Right now, we have a significant investment occurring in automating and improving our systems and processes across this very important area. In slide 21, developing a culture and process of targeted experimentation across the business continues to be a key aspect of enabling us to achieve our longer-term potential. As we've laid out in August, an initial and certainly ongoing area where we're taking this approach is across the customer transaction funnel as well as in the areas of loyalty and repeat purchasing. We are just getting started in this area, and some examples of these experiments are included here. Whether they be expanding audience reach or increasing purchase rate and basket size, we are testing across a variety of methods to attract more customers to the marketplace and increase their transaction value. As it has been area of interest by a number of stakeholders, the rollout of Afterpay across the Redbubble site has been a positive one. We saw Buy Now Pay Later customers averaging a significantly higher average order value relative to other customers. We still have a lot of work and a lot of opportunity right through the transaction funnel, and the teams will be continuing to experiment and improve moving forward. I'll now pass over to Red Bubble Group CFO Emma Clark. Emma. Thanks, Mike, and hello to everyone. 
I will continue with the first half operational highlights and we're in the strategic theme of customer understanding, loyalty and brand building. I just want to remind everyone listening that we're on slide 22. This knowledge of the mobile experience is increasingly important given more than half of sales on the platform now occur on a mobile device. We have spoken consistently about our apps and they continue to be an important element in our long-term strategy, being both a user acquisition and a loyalty play. As such, it was great to have 15% of the Redbubble marketplace of sales now coming by its iOS and Android apps. The iOS app has a very high rating of 4.8 stars out of a possible 5, and we continue to see stronger engagement and retention from customers who use our apps. Redbubble's membership base is substantial, and there were 8.1 million active members on Redbubble in the six months that made up the first half. This is down 12% versus the first half of the prior year, however up 53% versus the first half of financial year 2020. At the present time, being a member simply means that the customer has a Redbubble account and uses this to log in, browse and ultimately purchase on the marketplace. There is also a one-off incentive to join. We define a subsection of these as active members, who are unique members who visited either the web or app platform while logged in at least once during the period. Of the 8.1 million active members in the half, 14% went on to make a purchase during that period. Once a member does purchase, they are much more likely to make subsequent purchase, purchases than non-members, and this increased frequency leads to a higher annual average order value. There is ample opportunity for us to build a more comprehensive membership program over time, which will result in more users becoming active members, more active members purchasing, as well as continued increases in member purchase frequency. As we disclosed in January, purchases by repeat customers made up 45% of marketplace revenue in the first half. This is up from 42% at the full year results and up from 40% in the prior corresponding period. This is an area where we will continue to mature our level of detail and reporting. We have broken down the repeat purchases into existing and reactivated customers. Existing customers contributed $90 million to the half's revenue. These are customers who made a previous purchase within the prior 12-month period. Reactivated customers contributed $40 million of revenue, and these are customers who made a previous purchase but more than 12 months ago, who came back to then purchase again during the half. When we spoke in January, we had said that the increased competition we experienced impacted organic demand, which is primarily the acquisition of new customers through unpaid channels. And this can be seen by the contraction of new customers on this chart, with revenue contribution from this group of $158 million for the half, down from $211 million in the prior period. This chart does demonstrate that we have been able to hold on to most of the existing and reactivated customers from the prior period. The growth rate of revenue from customers making a repeat purchase is outpacing that of first-time purchases. It's a strong validation that our focus on better customer understanding and loyalty is of high potential. We started to experiment in this area in the past year and will continue to do so in this calendar year. Next, I will talk about the product range and third-party fulfillment networks. Thus far, we have been able to remain relatively insulated against the well-publicized global supply chain pressures that escalated during the half. As we flagged previously, the team was able to extend last order by dates for the US, the group's largest region, by an average of four to six days during the 2021 holidays compared to the 2020 holiday period. There were over 21 million units fulfilled and shipped in the first half of the financial year. 
This was down 18% from COVID peaks in the prior year, yet still up 32% versus two years ago. The group also continued its focus on localising products at existing locations during the half, particularly in the key public marketplace, where 18 products were localised into existing third-party Australian and Canadian fulfiller sites. As Mike mentioned earlier, increased localisation has multiple benefits, from reduced shipping costs to customers and lower transit time, as well as strengthening the resilience of the entire network by adding optionality and redundancy. Our teams also worked hard to deliver new product launches, line extensions and visual merchandising improvements. These drove tangible commercial outcomes including incremental sales and conversion gains. New products outperformed expectations and had a run rate of contributing 2.2% to marketplace revenue in November and December. This is meaningful given that they are still ramping up to steady state. Product line extensions on iPhone cases and hoodies added a further 1.4% to marketplace revenue in November and December, so the combined impact in this area was 3.6%. Finally, I'm very excited to share our plan to launch a new pets category in this calendar year. This will help the group gain access to new addressable markets by expanding the existing product portfolio into new areas of rising consumer demand. I will now speak to the financial performance and our outlook. Please be aware that unless otherwise stated, the financial results discussed are on a delivered basis and have been subject to audit reviews. On slide 29, the key call out here is that we are confirming the first half financial metrics that were provided at our market update on the 18th of January. Nothing has changed subsequent to audit reviews. As you can see, across all metrics, we are now a substantially larger business than we were two years ago. On slide 30, this is a business that needs to be assessed over the longer term, as whilst there has been volatility quarter to quarter, the longer term growth rate since the business commenced in 2007 has been consistently high. Marketplace revenue has grown at a CAGR of 30% since first half financial year 18, with a corresponding CAGR of 32% at the gross profit line and a CAGR of 25% for gross profit after pay acquisition. Focusing specifically on the first half GPUPLA result. When we spoke in January, we detailed how one of the factors impacting the results was increased competition that impacted organic, largely unpaid demand. We responded to these changes in the landscape by increasing total paid acquisition spend. These actions across both marketplaces positively impacted our revenue results but at a lower contribution margin. This, in combination with our decision to absorb increased shipping costs over the holiday period, negatively impacted both gross profit and GPUP margins on a short-term basis. As Mike highlighted earlier, increasing scale will help to drive further gross profit and GPUP improvements. During COVID, we have already shown the ability to deliver exceptional returns when the business step changes its scale and we are not in an active investment phase. Redbubble is a truly global business and our multi-regional footprint is a key strength. North America continues to be our largest region at 69% of total platform sales and on a two-year basis this has grown 64%. Australia and New Zealand provided a source of positive year-on-year -year growth in the half as lockdowns continue to occur intermittently. There is a combined population of almost 1 billion consumers in these core regions and you heard Mike speak earlier about the large total addressable market that we have set our sights on. As such, the upside is untapped given the enormous number of customers available to us in those geographies in the medium term. On slide 32, 
There are a diverse range of physical products available on the marketplaces, and this broad mix of lifestyle categories has enabled artists to maximise their selling opportunities as consumer needs and preferences have continuously shifted over the last two years. During the pandemic, categories such as accessories, which incorporated face masks, and wall art performed exceptionally well. However, have faced a stronger year-on-year -year decline as they cycle the COVID slide. During the first half, we were pleased to see other apparel and t-shirts, which is the group's largest product category, contribute positive year-on-year -year growth. On slide 33, given the quantum of mass contributions and delivery date adjustments recorded in the prior corresponding period, we have been transparently bridging the reported figures to the underlying numbers. The delivery date adjustment added $10 million in the prior half and masks also contributed $46 million of marketplace revenue. In the current half, the delivery date adjustment went the other way and took $3 million off the reported numbers and masks contributed $8 million. Adjusting for these two factors, the first half financial 22 underlying marketplace revenue growth was down 5% year-on-year and also 5% on a constant currency basis. Looking over the longer term, first half financial year 22 marketplace revenue was 60% higher than first half financial year 20. As we shared in January, the business has accumulated a substantial cash balance which was at an all-time peak of $133 million at the end of the first half. Some of that was due to the seasonality of cash flows associated with peak holiday sales, and cash as at the 31st of January 2022 was $106 million, having now made these payments to the other marketplace participants. This still provides us with flexibility to invest into our future business growth. It also continues to give management and the board considerable strategic flexibility around a range of capital management options, and all of these remain under active consideration by the board. There are also a couple of other balance sheet related items that are worth mentioning. As some of you would be aware, we have $41 million of off-balance sheet tax losses. These losses are available to offset future taxes payable. And as we have discussed, Redbubble is required to recognise revenue upon delivery of goods rather than when the customer has paid for the order. This results in revenue being deferred to the balance sheet. And at the 31st of December 2021, this was $17 million. On slide 35, Redbubble provided updated outlook statements in its market announcement on the 18th of January 2022. To reiterate these statements, Redbubble now expects financial year 2022 marketplace revenue to be slightly below financial year 2021 underlying marketplace revenue of $497 million. This will still represent solid growth on the $350 million achieved in financial year 2020. We remain committed to our mid-term aspirations and the investments that will be required to deliver upon our growth objectives. We are confident and excited about the medium to longer-term opportunity to grow strongly and extend Redbubble's global market leadership. As such, in the second half, we will be continuing to invest into the business, which will increase our operating expense run rate. We will be funding these investments out of our existing cash reserves. Financial year 2022, EBITDA margin as a percentage of marketplace revenue is now expected to be negative low single digits. And with that, I will now hand back to Mike. Uh, thanks, Emma. Uh, just to finish up on slide 36 and 37. Our aspirations of helping artists earn $250 million per year and reaching $1.5 billion plus in growth, trans growth transaction value in the medium term will deliver a step change in the scale of the business. Since we shared these, 
we've been clear that it would be over the next three to five years that we were targeting, and so that would be calendar year 24 plus, with the plus being an important part. Clearly, from where we are, achieving the shorter end of this time range will be challenging. However, that does not take away from this scale being our ambition and opportunity over the medium term and what we continue to be focused on achieving. And then on 37, to reiterate, when we achieve this level of scale, we remain confident that this level of profitability is also achievable. Our aspirations for the group are to be 2.5 times larger from the GTV and marketplace revenue perspective than we are today. And at that scale, we are confident in the operating leverage achievable and that this will enable us to reduce EBITDA margins in the range previously put forward. And with that, I'd really like to thank you for uh, listening and we will open up the lines for questions. Thank you. If you wish to ask a question, please press star 1 on your telephone and wait for your name to be announced. If you wish to cancel your request, please press star 2. If you are on a speakerphone, please pick up the handset to ask your question. Today's first question comes from Sophie Curran with Goldman Sachs. Please go ahead. Hi, Mike and Emma. Thanks for taking my questions. Um, just a couple from me, maybe first on category expansion. Uh, you've mentioned that you'll be launching into uh, the pet category this calendar year. I mean, how material do you see this as a category going forward? And maybe if you can talk to your category expansion pipeline going forward um, and just thinking about the growth that you expect to come from new versus existing categories. Yeah, sure, I'll talk about a high level. Um, pets is a really uh, exciting one, particularly for the red bubble business, given the red bubble, the core red bubble audience is very much that family unit uh, with teenagers, uh, sort of Gen Z teenagers and Gen, uh, and, and Gen X parents. So we think that we know that the spend of those, uh, of those family units on their pets is quite significant. It's been an area where we've had both artists and, and customers inbounding to us asking um, whether, whether items like that are, are going to be available. So it's an area that we're, that we're excited about launching, that we'll be committed to, you know, starting with a relatively uh, small product range and then expanding that uh, over time. As we've seen, though, with all of our product, with all of the products on both marketplaces, they do tend to take a while to ramp up uh, to, full, to full scale. Part of that is because getting uh, all of, you know, a, a significant number of artists to customise their works, their designs to those particular products does take some time. And given that, given that we've been broad with um, our timing when we've just talked about calendar year 22, uh, we don't want to go further than that and, and, and detail a particular materiality. It's too, it's too early for us to do that. But we do see, if you look at the spend of pets, you know, particularly in the US, particularly on family, you know, family units, it's a significant category uh, that we're excited about entering. I would just simply add, um, Sophie, on your broader question about other product expansion. We did, on, I can't remember specifically which um, release presentation it was, but I think about a year and a half ago, we did actually have a slide that showed in our existing categories, you know, we, we're really only um, in some products within those categories. So there's not just going into new categories, there's also continuing to build out um, the existing categories that we have with further products in those. And we did actually detail a bunch of different options in that particular slide. Great, thank you. Um, and then maybe another one, just uh, looking at the consumer behaviour trends and that increase in repeat rates was quite encouraging. Can you talk about some of the things that you're doing to drive uh, repeat purchasing higher? And then I guess looking at slide 15, um, what do you need to do to start to move the frequency of purchases up towards um, what the other large creator marketplaces are seeing? 
Um, yeah, thanks, Sophie. And those, those two things are pretty are pretty related um, in terms of uh, increasing your repeat rate period on period, as well as increasing uh, in, increasing transaction frequency within 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 a period. And so for us, you know, th these are areas that uh, uh, we've been clear with our numbers. We see a big opportunity to improve, but we've also been clear when we've been talking um, about these areas um, over at least over the last 12 months since so I've been here that there's no one silver bullet that's dramatically going to, to lift these overnight. This is very much an area where there's multiple levers and we really need to experiment and, and grind out those improvements. And that's, and that's what both the teams across both businesses uh, have been doing, looking firstly at, at, at how do we start to increase knowledge of customers in terms of understanding the value proposition um, on the marketplaces. So we do have, you know, we have a number of customers who will come through and purchase and not really be aware of the breadth of designs and products that are available on the site. So they might, might have bought a T-shirt for themselves, but not realise that there's an opportunity to buy a throw cushion for their parent because they're not exposed to those, to those products or designs at any part through their journey. They land in deep, they transact, and, and they're out again. So building the building a customer's understanding of the value proposition and the breadth and depth on the side is a key opportunity. There's a number of levers you could imagine across marketing and remarketing, as well as on-site experience uh, to to improve that. And then our other, you know, the other big, the other two big levers that we see here is one is building our overall brand awareness. We've talked about that being an area that we'll be, you know, starting to experiment into uh, over, you know, this this financial year and really looking at that in, fi in financial year 23 as an area that, that we're looking to ramp up across, uh, hopefully across both brands. So we do see that building our brand awareness will be a key, a key aspect of building loyalty um, and repeat rate. And then thirdly, an area that we're increasingly focused on is just making sure that that final lived experience of the customer, so when the customer receives that, that final good, that they, they get the good that they're expecting, they get it on time or ahead of time, and really, you know, and they, the unboxing experience is great, and they love the quality, of the, the physical quality um, of the product they get relative to the price they pay expectations, that we're meeting and exceeding that expectation every time. And I think that we've been clear that while overall our customer satisfaction is quite high, there are some areas that we, that we can really work on to make sure that, the, that, that moving away from the average, that every, every experience is of the quality that, that a customer would expect. So that is a bit of a broad answer because there are opportunities for us to work on the experience on site. Knowledge and understanding of the where we want to Great, thank you. Uh, one more from me, just um, thinking about the digital market. Uh, at the previous update, you met you were starting to see that improve. Um, just wondering about any further updates as we put a little bit further training there. Results and that's been deliberate because we have guidance, updated that guidance in January. That was based on what we need to know that point in January. The fact that we have to stay and reiterate that same guidance, um, we're going to say that the current trading. Excellent. Okay, the next question today comes from Aaron Rawls and Rick Banjoey. Please go ahead. All right, thank you all. Um, I think previously you, you mentioned in your sort of outlook or target table, the, the mid single digit EBITDA margin range with the short. Now, we've obviously uh, removed that comment now and FY22 will be negative, but 
do we take that as you're, you've got sort of less confidence around that mid-single digits 23, 24, FY23, 24? Because that short term is not just 23, I suspect it was 23 as well. Yeah, thanks for the question, Aaron. We only have provided guidance for the FY22 year, so even when we had prior guidance in place, it was for the FY22 year, and then obviously we have the mid-term aspirations, which are in the deck as well. So they're the only two pieces of guidance. We do not have guidance out in the market for FY23 on, and we're not intending on providing that at this point in time. Perfect. That's great. Um, and just in terms of customer acquisition costs, obviously it's well aware, it's a sort of well-known fact across the industry, up materially. I mean, if the, the, the next sort of phase or, or change in the industry is Google removing their cookies from 2023. I mean, how do you guys think about, or when you're planning from a business perspective, how are you thinking about marketing channels for the next 12, 18 months, the outlook for customer acquisition costs, just given the fact that your churn rate is a bit higher than some of the other online retailers, please? Yeah, absolutely. Well, one, of course, you know, with, with firstly, last year, iOS and IDFA changes, uh, everyone knows that the, the cookie deprecate is coming uh, at some point in, in the future. And yes, that, that will, I think, that, you know, our, our expectation is, is those, those changes, we will continue to see ongoing volatility across the digital marketing landscape. I think that what, you know, what we've seen in the past six months is as, um, particularly the IDFA changes that made it harder to attribute on channels, on some of the social channels, and so we saw a lot of spend push into the search channels. Search is good for us, but that's where, particularly where we saw, you know, where we saw caps go up. I think our expectation is we continue to see similar. You know, it's been, even as cookies deprecate, the search intent won't, won't change. For us, and our response is really multiple. One, of course, we're aware. Firstly, we've talked a bit about how to continue to build, uh, build our brand. We haven't invested in, our, in either of our brands previously. So building that broader brand awareness so that we start to become less reliant on purely on intent-based on intent-based searches we think is important because we, we expect those caps, you know, probably over time to continue to float, to float up. And then more broadly, you know, the other way that we, that we address it is by working on those areas that we spoke of before around working on how do we increase um, our, our loyalty and repeat rates, how do we make sure that customers that come to the site are aware of the broader propositions, how do we build things like our membership approach, how do we, how do we get more people onto, our, onto the apps on the, in the Red Bubble business because we do see better, you know, better attention and better engagement going forward. So it really has to be a multi-pronged strategy for us where we can build all those channels, those acquisition channels that we think will be less affected by those changes moving forward. We continue to build on our brand and we continue to work on our loyalty and repeat rates once, and our transaction funnel so that when someone does land on our site, um, we really start to, to move those conversion rates and then when they convert once, then we put them back in. So I know it's a very long answer, but there's no, there's no one proposition. It will, you know, it will undoubtedly, you know, we, we are very much expecting there to be continued volatility over the next 24 months in particular in that, uh, in that landscape. That's great. And last one for me, please. Can, can you give us an idea around unit economics for your business for this half? I mean, very simplistically, how much does it cost to acquire a customer? So what's the CAC? What's the gross profit return on that customer in the hub. Just trying to get a sense of what you think economics is so we've got that to fall back on given you're obviously investing in a brand. Yeah, so we've obviously in the appendix to the um, investor deck got the full breakdown of P&L and there's obviously the appendix 4D in there. We do not provide tax, Aaron, so we're not, I'm not going to disclose them on, on the call. Um, 
unit economics need to be derived from the set of financial statements that we've provided? Yeah, we, 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 you know, we deliberately, we've been asked, you know, a bit about it. Um, it is, when, the, the challenge that we've been clear about is that when you look at our GPUPA, it does, it does depend on the mix between organic and paid, and then within paid, it then, then depends on what, what do the CACs look like within paid. So there's a reasonable degree um, of, you know, of complexity that, that flows, that flows through that number. But hopefully what you can see by breaking down, you've got the half results and you can see by the numbers, you can see what the average looks like across the business as we bring those channels forward. And then even on tax, as we've talked about, it does depend on your attribution beliefs. You know, as we talked about last click basis, um, um, however, some of those customers who on a last click basis would be considered organic have been exposed to various market messages, various marketing messages uh, prior to coming in through another channel. Sorry, if I can just squeeze one very, very quick one, counting one. Just trying to the receivables balance, I think it's about quadrupled during uh, the half of a year on now. What, what's driving that, please? Uh, so um, it's still quite a low number in the overall scheme of things, but uh, it's largely driven by some legal receivables um, for some insurances that we have in place. So nothing necessarily to do with the operational results of the business, um, and obviously that has uh, almost certain level of recoverability given the accounting standards that get applied to that balance. Our next question today comes from Shami Ratnapala with RBC. Please go ahead. Thanks for taking my question, Magdalene Ma. Uh, so the growth in artists look uh, pleasing and was just keen to understand with that artist activation related work uh, that you commenced in CY21, uh, just on the recruitment and account management side, have you seen any incremental benefits so far? Any early signs we can talk to? Thank you. Yeah, thanks. It's a, it's a really good question. Um, we don't we don't do we don't do a lot of breakdowns between the T public and the red bubble uh, business. So I'll talk a little more anecdotally. Um, what what the artist acquisition uh, team helps us do is 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 you know really work on as new artists come in, not only helping them onboard, but also helping to uh, assess effectively the opportunities for those for those artists. And so that then creates a real focus in both businesses on making sure that new artists and new works are getting are getting promoted and getting the chance to be seen by uh, by customers. As you can imagine, if you have a a, a lot of our businesses driven by search, and if your search results are completely focused on what has sold previously, it makes it very hard for new artists and new works to break in. So having a view on on the way in about what artists and and, and, and giving new artists and giving new works an opportunity. Uh, to, to be seen by customers, uh, potential customers, and be purchased is a really important. So one of the key internal metrics that we focus on is you know new artist works uh, sold um, as a percent of new works uploaded, and we've definitely seen uh, you know that percentage, particularly in the T public business, uh, going you know growing well where where, where this work has been more focused, and that's an, and it's also an ongoing uh, area of focus for the Red Bubble team on how we take those signals from new artists to make sure that they're getting promoted. So I think when we see the difference in results internally across the two businesses, it gives us confidence that it's absolutely uh, the right strategy. And it's as much around surface, making sure that new artist works are being surfaced and being exposed as it is on, on making sure they're being brought in. Thanks for that. And maybe if I could squeeze in one more question, just on average order values, uh, have you seen, um, what sort of moments have you seen over the uh, first half, just on PCC? Thank you. 
Yeah, so um, thanks for the question, Charmy. Uh, average order van average order value is up slightly versus the same half in the prior year. Um, I'll also squeeze in the conversion rate is up slightly as well. So the decline is, is user-driven, not conversion or AOV. Thanks for that, Emma. The next question today comes from Peraz Wilson, a private investor. Please go ahead. Thank you. Um, thank you very much for your presentation. Uh, in your presentation, you emphasize um, issues like customer loyalty and repeat sales. From your, um, uh, from your information, it appears that um, you actually do have a very high customer loyalty and high repeat sales. But on the other hand, the vast majority of potential customers in Europe and possibly elsewhere have never heard of that problem. Can you elaborate a little bit about um, uh, exactly what is Redbubble doing to make these people aware of the company? Uh, yeah, thanks. Thank you. Thank you very much for the question. Really, really appreciate it. There's a couple of things to to unpack um, in there. So, yes, depends. Yes, repeat sales as a percent of our overall revenue has been going in the right direction and represents a, you know, as we said, 45%. I think why, where we see there's still such a great opportunity is when we look at the percent of customers uh, that make the purchase, say, more than once in a period or the percent of customers that come back from one period to the next. Uh, that, those numbers, we think there is significant room uh, for improvement when we look at, you know, other, other, other companies with similar customer bases or, or selling similar products. So we do think that there's significant opportunity uh, in terms of your question about uh, our lack of awareness, yes, we, com we you know we completely agree. You know, we you can see in the presentation we shared we shared a view of our brand awareness. Those that and those brand awareness metrics were actually only in North America. So if you were to repeat those studies in areas like like Europe, uh, you would see even even lower numbers. So yes, that's absolutely correct. We've talked before about there hasn't been any any real investment. Um, in what you would consider absolute top of funnel brand awareness. That's something that we're looking to rectify over the coming 12, 18, 24 months. We've been clear that we really wouldn't be starting that brand investment until at least uh, the next financial year, so at least until financial year 23. We'll have you know, more of an update uh, on that um, in, in August with our full year results. Um, and and it won't really be kicking off um, any, any earlier than that. But yes, you're absolutely right. And, and you can see from our from the data that we that we showed regionally, that while we have um, a good-sized business um, in Europe, that is primarily in three countries: in Germany, France, and Spain, where we've localised language, localised payment opportunities, localised uh, customer service uh, in, in local language. But even in those markets, our sales as a percent of GDP, or sales as a percent of consumer spending, whatever whatever metric you use is well below what we'd see in our major market of North America, indicating that there's an opportunity to increase penetration in those, in those markets. And if we can do that successfully, then we believe that opens up, a, opens up a real opportunity for us to move further into Europe. But the starting point is exactly the point you've made around we've got to increase our brand awareness. That does take investment. That's why we've been signalling we're in an investment phase um, over, over this you know, short to medium term period. But we think that that's absolutely the right investment to make. So if I understand you correctly, uh, this will uh, not happen this year, but um, uh, next financial year, say in August. Yeah. So, so what we're looking at um, is, 
you know, any, any sort of significant investment into brands, not until the next financial year, remembering our financial year starts from July. And given that the U.S. is our largest market by far, it's likely that our initial, you know, our initial investments will focus, will focus on the U.S. Um, that's where our team is. That's where our strongest position is. That's where our strongest starting point is. Focus there and then take our learnings and expand it into our other markets of Europe, U.K. and Australia and New Zealand. Yeah. So, um, uh, in the next financial year, um, roughly, how much of the marketing budget, how much, how many percent of the marketing budget will uh, be allocated to branding campaigns? Um, that, that's not something that we've talked about um, openly yet. Um, that, that's something that we'll, we'll, you know, we, one, we're both working through, and two, that that will be part of um, a part of next year's. But we haven't given any guidance around next year's next year's financials yet. What I will add is that when we do undertake material brand investment, we will actually break that out in the financials as a separate line, so um, everyone will be able to clearly see how much we're spending on performance marketing versus how much we're spending on brand. Which which methods do you uh, expect to use uh, for for these branding campaigns? Um, I guess it's not uh, newspaper advertising, uh, I suppose, but um, uh, something else. What uh, can you elaborate on that, on that, please? Sure. Thank you. I appreciate the appreciate the, the the interest. One that's still being you know still being worked through. The team's very much still in, in you know in, in planning phases. What I can what I will say is it will absolutely be very digitally focused. Um, we we do see from you know other organisations that we we look to and we're taking inspiration from the ability to build a brand using digital using the various digital channels. Um, you know, from from you know OTT and, and, and video, etc., is is where our focus will be. That allows us to be more targeted. Our focus will be very much on the on our core audiences. So it won't be broad based. You're not going to see us be doing you're not going to see us doing Super Bowl ads or anything like that. It will be you know will be primarily digital and it'll be very much focused on hitting our target audiences rather than rather to a broad audience. How much of it will be uh, social media? And ladies and gentlemen, if you would like, as a reminder, if you'd like to ask a question, please press star than one on your touchdown phone. Our next question comes from Tim Piper with UBS. Please go ahead. Uh, morning, team. Um, I'll just stick to two questions. Uh, I just want to understand the, the growth in the content, uh, which has been quite strong, and how that relates to the artist's growth on the platform over the past couple of years. Um, is it possible to give us a bit of a sense in, in those numbers of content growth, how much of that is growth from sort of older cohorts um, of artists and how much of it's been driven by new artists? And if we kind of look at 1H22, for example, the um, proportion of new content uh, compared to new artist growth uh, has stepped up significantly. Um, is that sort of something specific to newer cohorts of artists or around strategy or anything like that? Uh, thanks, Tim. I don't have those numbers right at hand, so I'll probably need to get back to you. I, I, I understand the I understand the question. In, in general, there's not there's not a huge change. One of the things that you know has been something over the past four or five years is you do have what you call you know content bulk uploaders who who will look to upload a lot of a lot of designs that are more uh, text based, um, and and that's that can contribute uh, to those numbers. That's a, that's to be. To be frank, that's an area that our marketplace integrity team, you know, is focused on because some of that adds value, adds value to the 
fair marketplace and some of it doesn't. But in, in terms of a real separation or a real change, um, I need I need to get back to you on that one. I would just add, Tim, that um, we do try and encourage artists to upload more content. Obviously, if they come on board as an, an artist initially and they get a signal where something sells relatively quickly for them, that acts as a reinforcement to upload more content. And we do know that there is, um, you know, from what we can see in our artist cohorts, that you know, simply having one piece of content uploaded on a platform is not optimal from an artist perspective. So. Um, most artists, particularly ones who are more commercial, understand that and will continue to upload and add new content to, to Redbubble over time. And once again, to Mike's earlier point in the speaking note, you know, capturing more of those meme and trending things that are happening now in the world at any point in time. Okay, got it. Uh, and just a second one around uh, a bit of a follow-on on the repeat. You've provided a bit more um, detail on your repeat revenue share with reactivated customers there. For that, uh, cohort of, of, of revenue, the reactivated ones. Can you just talk about uh, the channels that you're targeting to reactivate those customers? Are they sort of reacquired customers? You're primarily paying for those customers again, or have you worked a lot around sort of direct marketing, etc., that you're getting a lot of those customers back for free? Yeah, it's both. I wouldn't say it's free, I wouldn't say it's free um, but there's different cost channels. So obviously, you know, working working email providing different um, incentives to, to specific customers if they have been uh, if they have been uh, absent for a while and giving them the incentive to come back because you know obviously it's like cost things like direct mail actually which has got a bit of a cost to it but is relatively um, is relatively uh, cheap relatively of course <laughs> um, has actually been you know you, you saw that we put out a, a you know in one of the experiments that's one of the experiments that you know both businesses have been working on quite well and it actually given who our target audience is, particularly that family unit, uh, has worked quite well. So it's a variety of remarketing uh, campaigns, um, both digital and, and physical. They tend to have a different cost uh, to, to the pure new, new customer acquisition. It's not, it's not free, but it tends to be lower, tends to be lower cost. Uh, yeah, got it. Sorry, and just one more really quickly. On, on conversion rate, uh, what's the kind of differential you see in conversion rate for desktop uh, versus mobile web? Oh, it's, it's actually quite. It is. It is quite different. You know, there's, it's not. You know, it's not order of magnitude, but there's a, there is a significant difference between desktop, mobile, web, and then app. You know, and it goes in. You know, in that in, in that order, getting getting better. Uh, you know, de- desktop. I think for you know for a lot of a lot of customers um, is an area that one is decreasing as a percent of share, um, but conversion is you know conversion is an, is an area that's most challenged. So there is there is quite there is a, a, a significant difference between desktop to mobile web. To, to apps in terms of conversion rate. So as we continue to, you know, have customers use more mobile platforms, which obviously we disclosed in the report, and apps, um, that that is helpful to the conversion rate. Oh, sorry. So desktop conversion is lower than mobile web conversion. So we said. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah, that's correct. Desktop, you know, from from worse to 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 better. Desktop then mobile web then then apps. Yeah. Okay, got it. Great. Thanks for taking the questions. Thanks, Tim. Thank you. There are no further questions at this time. I'm out hand back to Mr. Olczynski for closing remarks. Uh, thank you all. We really appreciate the time um, and, and your interest today, and we look forward to speaking to many of you over the coming days. Thanks again. Thank you. That does conclude our conference for today. Thank you for participating. You may now discuss.